0: So yeah, for those of you who don't know me, I'm actually, my name is Jude, though, but I'm the intern here at uh, Princeton Baptist Church, and at this junior youth retreat, you guys were hearing about, this is just a little bit of a disclaimer, um, I was on this retreat, we used a lot of um, loud vocal energy in order to keep these kids under control, so if my voice kind of like stops working halfway through, then we'll just finish church early, but I don't know if that'll happen. <laughs> um... So, uh, we've got uh, quite a bit to cover, I was practicing, always my issue is that um, I'm looking at this text that we're in, uh, whichever it is for the week, and there's just so much to cover, I'm going to try to keep it um, as much of like a broad picture, um, just so we can see the whole picture of what this verse is telling us, um, and I'll let you guys turn there now, so we're in the book of Hebrews, uh, if you've got a Bible, uh, which is right near the end of the Bible actually, um, one of the last few books, and we're in chapter 12 of Hebrews. And what we're going to see in our uh, text that we're into today is actually um, just, yeah, like I was saying, a picture of living as a Christian. And So uh, for Christians, uh, if you're here and you're a Christian, um, I find this for myself, but it's pretty easy to get kind of confused. Like, what what is the Christian life supposed to look like? What are we supposed to focus on? Um, and this passage is going to give us a bit of perspective on that um, and if you're here and you're not a Christian even um, and you're not ready to uh, uh, maybe accept uh, what Jesus says about himself or just yeah you're curious maybe maybe you're exploring a little bit um, I hope at the very least is that uh, in this text we're going to be able to uh, uh, paint a bit of a picture so that even if like even if you're not living the Christian life you can look at this and say that is what it would be like. That's what it's like to live as a Christian. Uh, So we're going to read our text now and go from there. You're probably wondering why uh, others track in the background. We're going to find out. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That's two verses that we're going to be in today. Um, So we're actually going to start just right in the middle there. This is going to drive some of you crazy based on your personality. It drives me a crazy little bit. But we're starting right in the middle. We're going to go backwards. Then we're going to go forwards. Uh, And one reason, anyway, just a sneak peek. One reason I love this passage is because, like I said, it keeps the Christian life relatively simple. We've only got two big picture commandments here. Two major, just main things that we need to do. So the first one is run. Run. That's the first thing as Christians we've got to do got to run the race Now there's misconceptions kind of in all of our minds on what this race is. Uh, for some people when they hear uh, the author of Hebrews say that we've got to run with perseverance, this race you think all right, I just gotta gotta endure life I gotta make sure just I make it through I don't stop being a Christian or anything but I just have to kind of sit and wait and endure until I get to heaven one day and it, well some of those things are true. It's not what the race is about. It's not about sitting and waiting. And others of you, others of us, and pretty much all of us from time to time, I'm going to call this the riot, Christian riot mentality. I just made this up this morning. But the Christian riot mentality is that we look around uh, in church. You can look around if you want. You don't have to. Try to make eye contact with someone. But we look around. We see what other Christians are doing. We see people reading their Bibles and going to church Um, and just living their lives in a kind of Christian way. And we say, all right, that Christian is doing that, I'm going to kind of just mimic those things. I'm going to read my Bible, because that's apparently what Christians do. Um, I've seen Christians pray, so I'm going to maybe pray a little bit. And by that, it's kind of like, just think of running a race, and you don't actually know where you're going. You just saw a bunch of people running by your house, so you started running with them. Uh, Yeah, it's basically like a rampage, a little bit. But what are we running towards? What are we running towards as Christians? What's the race marked out for us? Uh, We're going to look at a couple scripture passages that illustrate this for us, kind of lay it out for us, and we're going to go from there. So uh, the first is Philippians. Uh, It's a little bit before Hebrews in the Bible. Philippians chapter 3, uh, verses 10 and 11. And I'm going to read it. It says, this is the Apostle Paul, this guy who planted a bunch of churches. He was like, he was a super Christian, if there ever was a super Christian. He said, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. So essentially, in this race... We're running towards Jesus. Jesus is actually, when you think about it, he's the finish line. He's the one we're running towards. We're striving to know him. We're striving to be like him. Um, and yeah, so the section, the second scripture passage that we're going to look at is Acts chapter 20, verses, or verse 24, which says, However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. This is also the Apostle Paul, though, by the way. Uh, he says, However, I consider my life worth nothing to me, my only aim is to finish the race. Now, in case we think that he's saying that this race is just about getting through life um, and just waiting to get to heaven, it's not what he's talking about. To finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. So, in this race, we're doing two things. First, we already saw... We're striving to know Jesus. That's our first objective, to know Jesus, to run towards knowing him, finding joy in him, and second, to show Jesus. I tried really hard to make that rhyme. To know Jesus and to show Jesus. Those are the two things that the Christian life is about. So The race is personal and missional. Um, So actually, this picture kind of works. You see how there's lanes? Um, One reason, so I ran track and field when I was uh, back in high school, And I love the sprints. And one of the reasons I love the sprints is because in sprints, you get to stay in your lane. No one else is allowed in your lane. And no matter how fast you're going, you don't have to worry about, like, someone cutting in, uh, like, in the distance races or trying to pass around someone. You just got your lane, and it's you and the run. And in Christianity, this is partly true. It is between us and God, but it's not just between us and God. There's the personal side. We want to know Jesus, but there's the missional side. There's actually other people involved in our race. And if you're a Christian, um, I just want to say this. uh, We're in this race whether we like it or not. I hate to break it to you. um, Some people don't like running, but whether we like it or not, we're in the race. Jesus has brought us into this race. But the choice that we have, we do have a choice. The choice is how hard we're going to run. Are we going to run hard? Are we going to strive towards these two objectives? Or are we going to do the sit and wait? Are we going to just look forward to heaven and kind of jog along, maybe walk, look around, and just wait till we get taken out of the race? In everything, if we're going to run hard, this is the choice, is this thing. So, for example, with our free time, uh, Pastor Kyle likes to talk a lot about how we use our free time. Um, It's really made me think, in the time that I have, and am I using this time in a way that's helping me to know Jesus? And am I using my time in a way that's helping me to show Jesus, to show how great he is to other people? With our money, are we spending it in a way that's helping us to know Jesus and to show how great Jesus is to other people? Um, in our friendships, in how we interact with other Christian friends or with non-Christian friends, are we showing them how great Jesus is and how much of a difference he's made in our lives? We want to know Jesus, and we want to show Jesus. Uh, This is another kind of just misconception uh, that um, I used to have quite strongly, a lot of Christians have, when we say that we want to know Jesus. Any Christian could honestly say, and in a way they'd be right, I already know Jesus, all right? What's the race to run? I already know him. But this this is the thought that's going on when we say that, is that Christianity is about getting saved and going to heaven when we die. Getting saved and going to heaven when we die. Now, those things happen, all right? Uh, we like the verse. Uh, it's a pretty popular one. Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verse 8 and 9. You guys can turn there uh, if you want. Sorry, I know I'm not giving much time to turn there. Um, but when we have verses up here, just total side note, uh, these verses we usually talk about in life groups. Um, in the week following. So if we write them down, um, it gives us a chance to kind of look into, dive into them, uh, and come prepared to life groups. Anyway, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. We like this part of the verse. It says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So that's the part that says, this is true if we have our faith in Jesus, if we trust him for who he is, and that he's taken away our sins, it's not a question of if we're going to heaven or not. We are. It's not by our works. We don't have to try really hard to get into heaven. All right, that part is already decided. But the rest of the verse, verse 10, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So, Think about this, when God created you, when God created me, and probably even more profoundly, when Jesus died for you, when Jesus died for me, when he suffered for our sin, he did all that, not just so we can go to heaven when we die. He did all that so that in this life, he could bring us to the start line of the race. Jesus saved us so that in this life, we have the opportunity to run this race. And not just to sit and wait for heaven, not to just uh, endure through life and persevere in a kind of sitting, passively type of way. He saved us so that we can spend this life striving to know him and striving to show him. Um, Those of you who are married, if I ask you, is it a good thing to get to know your spouse? You could say yes, or you could say, no, I already know my spouse. I don't need to get to know them anymore. If you were dating and you had this mindset, you probably wouldn't be married at this point. I probably wouldn't be married at this point. So I was just like, all right, me and Morgan, we've met. I know her, and I think I'm good to go now. I don't need to know her anymore. No, here's the thing. I actually find joy in getting to know Morgan. When we get to know someone more and more, and this can be in any friendship, this is true. The reason that we want to get to know people is because we find joy in getting to know that person and actually knowing them more than we do now. And so, as Christians... We believe Jesus brings the most joy. That knowing Him, the more we know Him, the more joy we're going to find in relationship with Him. Uh, there's a lot of people, um, and probably most of our world, honestly, has this view of what Christianity is, where you give up everything fun, you're basically not allowed joy, but it's not about quenching our desire for joy. It's not what Christianity is. And if you've maybe grown up, a lot of us have grown up in this version of Christianity, where if we have a strong desire for joy, then we have to kind of, like, push that back all the time. But uh, me and Morgan, we were taking this class uh, over at the Bible school that we've gone to just for a week, and it's, uh, we talked a little bit about C.S. Lewis, and I actually got to do an assignment on C.S. Lewis, and you might know him as the guy who wrote uh, The Chronicles of Narnia, or The Lion, the Lion, the Lich, and the Wardrobe. The Witch and the Wardrobe. But he wrote a lot of Christian books too. And I just love this quote uh, from one of those where he says, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. So in other words, we don't have too much desire for joy. We actually don't have enough. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. We're like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. We could say, if we wanted to, we could say about athletes. Um, I'm going to use the example of athletes uh, quite a bit in here. That athletes, the life of an athlete is just terrible. You're not allowed like ice cream, you're not allowed staying up as late as you want. You have to be disciplined. But here's what athletes know. And if you've been in sports, you know this, is that you're not giving up. You're not quenching your desire for joy. What you're doing is you're trading up. You're trading up. You're giving up certain things in order for something better. And that's what Christianity is. In our joy, when we try to find joy in things like ourselves, our possessions, we need to do is trade up we got to search for something better. Jesus brings more joy than that. Knowing Jesus. This, is, this isn't, I'll just say, it's not about knowing facts about Jesus. We need facts about Jesus so that we actually know him and not some version of Jesus we make up in our mind. Um, as we read uh, God's word, we find out who he is, and we can actually know him accurately. But it's not just knowledge. If it's just knowledge, we don't really know him. It's actually experiencing the joy found in living our life all out for him. Living life all out for Jesus, that's what brings joy. Even in light of the things that God might be calling us to leave behind. And so that's the knowing Jesus side of it. And second, we've got the showing Jesus side of it. Um, How are we going to show Jesus? How are the people around us going to see Jesus in us? How are they going to see that we actually value Jesus so much that we strive towards knowing him and finding joy in him, that they know the prize is actually worth it. Do our decisions show others that Jesus is our greatest prize. Um, We'll talk about kind of this through the sermon, but I just thought about the Christian martyrs uh, when I was reading about this. So these guys, um, especially in the early church, but even now in different countries where um, Christianity is either outlawed or persecuted, uh, people give their lives for their faith. And these people, what they're doing is they're choosing something better. They're choosing that even life, even life does not bring as much joy as knowing Jesus. So they'd rather give up this than give up their faith and their belief in him. These people are trading up. And I would, oh, this, this is what this has to do with showing Jesus. Is that these martyrs? There's a lot of stories you can read where someone gives their life for their faith. We probably in Canada... You probably will not be murdered for being Christians. But this is just this just shows how this works. These guards, literally the executioners who were cutting off the heads of Christians, would often become Christians. Because they see that these people are choosing something better and that there actually is more joy than even having their lives. They're trading up. Now, trading up. Trading up. This concept. Um, as you can probably intuitively know, has to do with getting rid of something. This is what we're going to talk about now, Uh, the getting rid of something. The verse that we're in in Hebrews says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Uh, I don't know how many of you guys have watched speed skating, uh, either in the Olympics or just somewhere else, Um, but I was thinking... This is just, I don't know why this is the example that came to my mind while I was looking through this first. But I was thinking about what these speed skaters wear. Now, I was going to put a picture up here, but I don't know if that would actually be allowed in church. Um, but they, they've they got like the full spandex suit, like little, not kind of like swim cap sort of thing. They're not, like there is nothing there that does not need to be there. There's no fanny packs, There's no there's no capes to look like they're going faster. They don't have like basketball shorts, those things would look cool. But it's not a coincidence that this and I was thinking this, like, so I ran track and I was like in the Winter Olympics, it's so cool. Speed skating is like the most similar to track and field. It's like that'd be a kinda of cool sport to get into. But I just wasn't sure if I was willing to like since I knew that to get to the top you had to wear that kind of thing. I was like, Nope, gonna just stick gonna stick stick with my summer sports. But It's not a coincidence, though, that these speed skaters who win at the Olympics and even to make it into the Olympics or be competitive anywhere, you can't take anything extra with you. You can't have any extra baggage if you're going to actually win the prize. If we're going to run to win, if we're going to run the Christian life to win, if we're going to give everything to know Jesus and everything to show Jesus, what are the hindrances that we have? So, sin is the first one. This is really kind of the obvious one. Things that offend God. These things hinder both the knowing Jesus and the showing Jesus. We're putting up barriers between us and God. It's like any relationship. This isn't just spiritual. Any relationship. If someone is offended by something and you consistently do that thing, there's going to be a little bit of a relational barrier there. And it works the same way. But also, when we do that, What are others going to see? Are they going to see the joy that we find in Jesus? Are they going to see that Jesus transformed our life? This isn't in a guilt way. And we're going to look later in the sermon about how do we strive towards that? How do we strive towards leaving behind sin and running past that? Uh, My problem. Uh, I don't know how many of you guys have this problem. I've met a few other people in my life who do. Um, But I just have this thing where... I'm completely preoccupied with myself in every area of life. All right, some of you might have met someone who has that. I doubt any of you have that issue. But I make everything about me. I make everything about me naturally. And this hinders me from knowing Jesus. This hinders me from showing Jesus. It shows people that I find more joy in living for myself than I do living for Jesus. So that, those are the sins. And it's not just sin, though. It says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. So what else is hindering us? That's the question. Um, I think a lot of times, as Christians, we ask the wrong question. Um, and it's not necessarily a bad question. But when we're making decisions, and this is just the kind of easy example, should I watch this movie? We ask this question, is it sin? Is it going to be sinful? Is it going to cross the line if I watch this movie? When? When we're making those decisions. What if we ask the question, does it help me run? Does this thing help me run? Is it going to help me run faster? Is it going to help me move even further towards knowing Jesus? Is it going to help me show Jesus to the world? Now, uh, let me ask you guys this. Eating ice cream once a week. Eating ice cream once a week. Is that bad for your health? Just think about it. Is that going to be bad for your health? Health Health-wise, is that a sin? Not really. I, disclaimer, I eat more than ice cream once a week. But it's not the point. Eating ice cream once a week, that's not going to destroy anyone's health. But if you ask an Olympian, are you going to get the gold medal by eating ice cream once a week? They're probably going to say no. It's probably not going to work. They're trading up, even though they could get away with this thing. And this is what we try to do. We try to ask, what can we get away with? Olympians know even if they could get away with it, they're not going to because there's something better that they want. So we we ask this. How close can we get to sin and watching certain movies in our free time? So like we talked about free time, there's not many things. Obviously, there are things you could do in your free time that's sin. But for the most part, we're not sinning nonstop in our time after work. But if that's the only thing we're concerned with, if we're only asking, is this wrong? Usually the answer is going to be no, but that's not necessarily going to translate to striving to know Jesus, striving to show Jesus. And how we spend our money, there's not, again, there are some sinful ways to spend your money, but there's not a lot of them. But there are ways that we could spend money that perhaps more bring us to a place of knowing Jesus, that are more obedient to him, that reflect him to the world. We just want to do the least possible naturally. I know this is the problem with all of us naturally, is that we just want to do the least possible to get in. This is the kind of sit and wait for heaven type of thing. As long as we get in, as long as this isn't sin, uh, we're good. As a teenager, so this is before I was a Christian, but I would literally ask this question about all kinds of different things. I would like look into what different popular preachers said about different issues, just to like, do my research, and I was trying to answer the question, am I still going to go to heaven if I do this? That was the question I was asking. And if you ask this, that question, if you are a Christian, if your faith is in Jesus, the answer is yes. Like, the sin isn't going to take, um, take away your eternity with God. But also, this is the answer that I would give to that question. Who cares? All right, that is probably a little harsh, but that totally misses the point of Christianity. Asking that question, are we still going to go to heaven if we do this? That misses the point of the whole thing. Uh, There's one preacher that I heard recently in a podcast, and this honestly challenged me a lot. And he brought up this point. He said, if we don't strive to find joy in God in this life, if we're not living life for Jesus and to know him, if we're only concerned with getting into heaven. So if that's the only question we're asking, am I going to get into heaven and we're not trying to find joy in Jesus? I think we're going to be disappointed when we get there and we find out that heaven is all about finding joy in Jesus. It's all about knowing and glorifying God. Now, I don't know how that's going to work, but it makes you think whether or not this is actually the case that anyone's going to be disappointed, I doubt it. But if heaven's about knowing God, how is that reflected in our life? How is our life leading up to that point? How is our life along the race towards that? So um, we're going to go move a bit to the very start of the verse, and then we're going to jump to the end. So quickly, if we're going to be sacrificing, and this is probably where we've got to at this point, if we're going to be sacrificing, if we're going to be trading up, we got to kind of clarify, is the thing that we're trading up to worth it? Obviously, we want to trade up, but are we really trading up? Is the thing that we're trading up for worth it? Because running takes more effort. You guys probably know this. This is why when I released you guys for coffee break, no one ran to the coffee. Because the coffee, I probably would have. But coffee, for us, is not worth the effort and social humiliation of running to get it. Christian life, the Christian life is like this. Running is costly. It is costly. it takes more effort. Is it worth it? And thankfully, we've got people to show us that it's worth it. Uh, these are the witnesses. So we're going to go uh, back in our text. Um, so it says, uh, let us um, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us run with endurance the race uh, set before us. So who are these witnesses? Uh, First of all, when I say the word witnesses, I'm sure there's a lot of people in here, and this was me for a long time. We hear witnesses watching us run the race, and that's what we think of. We're like, we're in the stands, we're running our race around the track, and there's just tens of thousands of people watching us. God's there watching us, and everyone is just adding pressure. They're adding pressure, and they're going to be disappointed if we don't run fast enough and if we don't win, but that's not what these witnesses are. Um, so, I've talked about the Olympics already, but in 2012, we had the Summer Olympics in London. Um, and like I said, I was a runner in track and field, and I loved the 800 meters. It was my favorite race. It was like brutal, it was just super painful every time I ran it. It was great. I liked watching other people have to do that. And so, in the Olympics, it was finally the 800 meter final. And there's this guy, his name was David Rudisha, and he's a Kenyan runner and he had the world record in the 800 meters. He was running, and he ran, and I was excited. It's like one of the most surreal experiences of my life, watching this race live on TV. And he won the gold medal, and he set the world record again, even faster than the last time. I was like, I cannot believe that I just saw this on live TV. And for six months, no joke, six months, every single day, probably multiple times a day, I watched recordings of this. I would watch over and over just this two-minute race that David Reducer ran. Because as a teenager, it inspired me. I was like, I want to do that. I'm going to make it to the Olympics. I'm going to set the gold medal or win the gold medal. What do I have to do to do that? And so as 15-year-old Jude, and this was January now, I'd wake up at 5.30 in the morning. It was dark. It was rainy. It wasn't snowy. It was Vancouver. But it was rainy, and it was way colder than this. And uh, I would run in the dark, in the rain, for uh, probably half an hour to 45 minutes. I'd get home and then later in the day, I'd have a practice with my team where I trained more. And if we didn't, what I would do is I would ride my bike uh, to this hill that was close to our house. And it was like super steep incline, probably 100 meters. And I'd sprint up the hill and walk back. Sprint up the hill again. I did that about 20 times. So that is just a glimpse. At where I came from. And this is probably even more crazy to me. I heard the Kenyans, uh, the Kenyan runners, they drank a lot of tea, and I wanted to be like David Rudisha. So I started drinking tea. It was a dark point in my life. Just kidding. <laughs> but the point is, I was inspired by what I had seen. And I went crazy trying to strive towards this goal. David Rudisha, he was a witness to me that it was worth it, that it was worth giving up my time and my effort and the things that I wanted to eat. Those were worth giving up for running faster. How much more reason do we have as Christians? Um, In Hebrews, so just before this verse that we're in, of Hebrews 12, we've got the entirety of chapter 11, which we call the Hall of Faith. So we know the Hockey Hall of Fame. It's this place, I don't know if other sports have it, but hockey has it where any hockey player who's just really done awesome and she's something uh, makes it to the Hall of Fame. So you can go there and see Wayne Gretzky. You can see all the Vancouver Canucks who are probably there. Um, and uh, we've got that for faith. Now we call it the Hall of Faith. Or oh, we can see Noah. Noah, this guy who built the ark because God told him to. He built the ark. His friends mocked him the whole time. Everyone just thought he was dumb, but God had told him to do this, and he was obedient. He was trading up. He knew that the joy of obedience to God, the joy of knowing God, was way better than anything else, than any relationships he could have kept, than any any other thing he could have had in life, and we've got Moses. I love what it says about Moses. I'd encourage you just after this service even, or throughout the week, read through all of Hebrews, first of all. It's awesome, and especially chapter 11. You see all these examples of trading up, all these examples of people who show that it's worth giving everything for this. Moses, who was literally, he could have had anything. He was the prince of the most powerful nation in the world at that time, Egypt. But instead of taking that, instead of taking anything else he could have wanted, he chose, it says, to be mistreated with the people of God. For him, that was trading up trading up from any pleasures of sin, any fleeting pleasures, trading up to the joy of knowing God and a life of being mistreated. He chose God over everything. So those are the witnesses. And now, so this whole time we've spent looking at this first part of running. Running. And uh, because of time, we're going to move on to the second command right now. It's going to be a lot shorter. But this second command that this verse gives us uh Hebrews chapter 12, 1 and two is look, look you see, if we try to run on our own steam, possibly you guys have tried this. Uh, a lot of us when we first gave our lives to Jesus, we just started sprinting. We were going fast, but then we realized it was on our own steam and if there's one thing I know about sprinting is that I cannot do it for very long, especially now. I last like on our junior youth retreat, we played Capture the Flag, I tried sprinting. Uh, in boots and I was like I took probably 5 minutes to just sit there in jail after the kids caught up to me and recover from like 10 minutes of, or 10 seconds rather of running. In Christianity, when we try to run on our own steam, we can't actually make it anywhere, but this passage tells us how we can, how we can run the race. It gives us the ultimate reason to run and it gives us the ultimate enablement. It gives us the ultimate coach and the ultimate source of energy. It says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So the first thing about the Christian life, we've got to run. And now, in order to do that, we have to look. We have to look. We have to fix our eyes on Jesus. Why? Because if we don't, We're going to forget what we're running towards. All of us are going to do this. All of us are going to crash and burn if we're not looking to Jesus. If we're just running in our own efforts, clenching our fists to go as fast as we can. As I was reading this passage, even like months ago, I didn't even know I was going to preach on it at that point, but this phrase started going through my head as I saw this. And when I was struggling with uh, making things about myself, for example, junior youth, I naturally... Make it about myself. Naturally, I want to be the guy who runs a great junior youth night. Even preaching, ironically, naturally, I'm trying to make this about myself. As I'm preparing, I'm like, how am I going like, to look good doing this? How am I going to just be the guy who preaches good sermons? But what God was telling me was, take your eyes off yourself. Take your eyes off yourself and put them on Jesus. Take your eyes off yourself and put them on Jesus. So when I'm making things about myself, this is what I remind myself. Yes, we've got to do other things. We've got to lay aside these weights and hindrances that slow us down. We've got to run, but the thing that gives us the reason to run and enables us to run is looking to Jesus. That might sound like a kind of weird concept. Looking to Jesus, we're not like it's not like closing our eyes and just making it, like picturing Jesus or anything like that. This verse thankfully actually tells us. What, what it means. It tells us to look at Jesus, it says fix your eyes on Jesus, and then it follows up with an actual example of a look at Jesus. So here it is. Jesus, he's the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. What does it mean that Jesus is the pioneer of our faith? Um, this one's a bit more simple because it just means he literally founded Christianity. He started the whole thing. He came into the world of people searching for God through religion, through good works. And he became the one true way to get to God. And then he perfected Christianity. He had laid the foundation for it. He pioneered it. But then he had to actually accomplish something. We had New Year's Eve a while ago. And a lot of you were pioneers of a new way of life on New Year's Eve. I I didn't make many resolutions. But I just said, um, all right, I'm going to just be a bit more healthy. I'm going to not eat anything or a snack after 7 p.m. on weeknights. Easy enough. But so I had pioneered this new way of life. The only thing I failed to do now that we're here in February is to actually accomplish it, to actually do it. Everything else was all set, but I didn't accomplish it. Our whole faith is based on something that was accomplished. That thing is total perfection. That's what God needs from us. That's what all religions try to achieve total perfection. But the only person in human history who's ever actually accomplished this is Jesus. Something that's been pointed out to me is Jesus had a brother named James. uh, During Jesus's life, we see that James is not a fan of Jesus. Imagine your brother, uh, you grow up with him, and he starts at the age of 30 claiming that he's God and demanding worship. I don't know how I'd feel about that. I probably would not be ready to accept that. And James wasn't ready to accept that. He wasn't one of Jesus' disciples or anything. But let me ask you this. What would it take? What would it take for your brother if he said, hey, by the way, I'm God, worship me. What would it take for you to actually do that? Because we see James later in the Bible, after Jesus has died and rose again, he's actually a megachurch pastor in Jerusalem. And he actually gives his life for the faith. James becomes one of these martyrs who traded up from anything else, from even his life, to the joy of knowing Jesus and worshiping him and following him. How did that happen? How did Jesus convince his own brother that he was God? Well, if I was James, I would never have become a Christian. I wouldn't worship my brother unless, first of all, he had never once in his life done anything short of perfect. Right, that's criteria one. If my brother had like been mean to me or I could point out, nope, there's there's some sin, you're definitely not perfect, I wouldn't be ready to accept him as God. And even then, I'd be like, okay, maybe he's just got some extreme self-control going on. Maybe he's just like hiding these things from me and I haven't noticed. But then, if he was killed and Roman soldiers even confirmed that he was dead and he was buried... And three days later, he rose from the dead. That's the point. I'm like, okay, you are God. You've never sinned, and now you've risen from the dead. You're God. That's what happened to James. Jesus perfected Christianity with his perfect life, which is what God requires from all of us. But here's why Christianity exists. Here's why heaven isn't just God and angels. This is why there's actually human beings in heaven. It's because after Jesus showed this, after he showed that he deserved a relationship with God and he showed that he was perfect, instead of taking all of God's favor for himself, he took God's wrath. He took the punishment of God. And in his death on the cross, he took all that which we deserve. He took that and he gave us what we what he had earned, which is his perfection. That was the joy that was set before him here. He endured the cross because he knew that the result of what he did on the cross would be that anyone who puts their faith in Jesus can be called a child of God. And the passage finishes off saying that Jesus is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That's to say he's in the seat of power. The cross was shameful. It's the way they executed the worst kind of people. But Jesus despised the shame of the cross by being lifted up from the lowest shame to the highest honor at the right hand of his Father in heaven. Jesus perfected the Christian faith faith, by making us perfect. And we've got to run towards that. He did all that. He did all of that to bring us into the race, to bring us to the start line where we can know him and we can show him. And so just finally, how do we look to Jesus? First of all, do this. Preach the gospel. Preach the gospel to ourselves. I had a Bible school teacher who always said this. that We've got to preach the gospel to ourselves all the time and remember what he's done. And also, I loved Carl's, Pastor Carl's sermon last week about the Bible and about how we see Jesus in the Bible. Anyway, all these things. Praying to know Jesus. Praying. These are ways we can look to Jesus. And this is how we run the race. This is how we remember where we're going towards. So, big picture. The whole message of Christianity. Look to Jesus. Run towards knowing him. Run towards showing him got to run towards that. And we do that by fixing our eyes on Jesus. Um, I'm going to pray now. We're going to get the worship team up there for one, up here for one last song, um, and then go home and do this. Uh, Jesus, we thank you so much that uh, you've given us us something, something that's worth running towards, something that's actually worth striving towards. Um, And that, um, yeah, that we don't have to quench these desires for joy that you've given us, but that in you we actually find so much more joy than in anything else. And we pray that as we go here, you would show us the ways uh, that you would have us do this. Uh, Show us the things that you would have us lay aside um, as we trade up uh, to the greater joy of knowing you um, and showing you to the world around us. Um, Yeah, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.